The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, he's back. Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Jeff Nails. Tonight on Fast Play Ball. Or not, the stock taking a big hit today because the already delayed baseball season may be back on pause. Plus, gold closing at a record high today, but in a flight for safety, could Bitcoin actually be the better bet? And pot stocks lighting up today will tell you what's got those traders hoped so high. But we start off with the coronavirus stimulus bill. Senator Mitch McConnell unveiling the details of the bill just moments ago. Let's get straight to Kayla Tausche, who's got the very latest. Kayla. Melissa, top Senate Republicans are now diving into each different part of this uh, HEALS Act, as Leader McConnell uh, termed this bill. It stands for Health, Economic Assistance, uh, Liability Protection, and Schools. The trillion-dollar package has $105 billion for schools. That is more than was in the Democrats' HEROES Act from back in May. It has another round of direct checks, and it has an added unemployment benefit of $200 a week. That's a decrease from what it's been for the last several months. But uh, Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley just noted that this is going to transition to 70 percent of a worker's pre-pandemic wage uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that uh, the virus doesn't care how fragile the economy is, but that the U.S. cannot write a blank check, that it needs to be tailored for these specific times and crossroads. But Democrats are already saying it's far too tailored. After McConnell took the floor, Senate Majority uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said there needs to be food assistance for kids and families, hazard pay for essential workers, funding for state and local governments, and that uh, and there need to be more generous unemployment benefits and that the way that Republicans are trying to calculate this is impossible. Here's Senator Schumer. Chaos. Chaos. You change the unemployment benefit, it's going to take weeks, if not months, for most people to get it. The economy crashes, people are hurt, they get kicked out of their homes, they can't feed their kids. What are you doing? So, Melissa, clearly there is a lot of daylight between where Republicans and Democrats are at this moment. Uh, in just about an hour's time, the Treasury Secretary, the White House Chief of Staff, uh, and Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi are going to be meeting in the Speaker's office. That takes place at 6 p.m. Uh, to see exactly what this Republican proposal looks like and how it's going to change from here. Melissa. All right, Kayla. Thank you, Kayla Tausche. A lot of daylight is maybe a polite way of putting it, Guy Dami. It sounds like there are vast differences between the two sides on this, and the deadline is fast approaching. Yeah, and Mel, you know, but those, I think the daylight's going to quickly become uh, some sort of deal because, look, everybody's going to politic on this. It's fascinating to hear Mitch McConnell say 
they can't write a blank check. I don't know when he became so fiscally responsible. It was just a few months ago that Steve <laughs> Mnuchin seemingly pulled four or five trillion dollars out of thin air. So the whole thing is theater and somewhat folly as well. But in terms of what it means for the markets, and we have Tony Dwyer coming on, it's very bullish for the markets. Whether I like it or not, it doesn't matter. The fact that the S&P 500 is at 3240 level, the level that we broke down from in early June, is really good. I'll add one other thing, and I think Tim would probably agree. VIX closing below 25 for the first time is also very encouraging. So despite some shakiness last week, the market still finds itself on extraordinarily resilient ground. Well, the VIX being this low certainly encourages people to stay long or be net long the markets, Tim, at this point. Yeah, I think the, what the rotation we've actually seen over the last couple of weeks is, is real. And, and I know we've talked at length about the, uh, the divergence between growth and value. But if you look at what the dollar is doing, this is certainly uh, a stimulus to, to those value plays in the market. I mean, this is, this is very large uh, for multinational companies. This is very important for companies uh, that have any reflationary dynamic attached to uh, their livelihood. So uh, a weaker dollar, which we'll talk about with Tony, is one of the dominant themes of the last couple of months. And that has has major implications for different parts of the economy that I think have been somewhat beleaguered. So if you look at uh, what this week holds, I'm sure we've been hearing it all day on the network between the earnings, mm -hmm. uh, a Fed meeting on Wednesday. We started to get some rumbling out of the Fed over the weekend that they may be a little bit concerned about a bubble. Well, you know what? Guess what? We have one. Uh, and I think this is something the guy also referenced. It, it's, it's amazing when actually Republicans uh, have not necessarily shown that they can be fiscally you know, restrained and Democrats have actually gone in the other direction. So uh, I agree with the fact that it's very difficult to believe that fiscal stimulus is what's driving the market. I think it's all about the Federal Reserve. Uh, and the good news is that we're actually getting, uh, albeit off of a very low base, some type of global economic uh, kind of coordinated move. And you saw that out of Germany today. Durable's numbers here were better today. So you're getting better economic prints. Let's say we get some kind of deal. Devil's always in the details, right, Jeff Mills? And so let's just pretend that they meet in the middle on the enhanced unemployment benefit and you get to $400 a week for at least the time being. Down the line, are we going to look back and say, oh, well, retail sales are down, consumers aren't spending as much because they're not getting the $600 that they had been getting for the past couple of months? Well, right. And I think that's a good point. And I think that they will certainly meet in the middle. But my question is, is that meeting in the middle actually going to be a robust catalyst for the market to move higher? My contention is that current market prices actually reflect a future economic reality that already includes additional stimulus. You know, we're, we're in this weird economic reality where if you're looking for a V recovery, it's in manufacturing. Tim mentioned durable goods today, so you see it there. But we have an economy that's driven by services, and you can keep giving people more money, but unless they're going to leave their houses, as long as they're, going to, as, as long as they're not going to continue uh, acting the way that they did before the virus, then does that money find its way back into the economy. And I look at some of those cyclical areas, and yes, they've had a good run, but my guess is over the next couple of months, we're going to default back to the comfort of that large cap uh, tech type of trade. And I really think we're going to need investors to believe that the economy is off to the races. We may even need to see slightly higher interest rates for us to see a true rotation into cyclicals that actually sticks. We've got a, a much weaker dollar at this point, Brian Kelly. I mean, we, we're plumbed levels we hadn't seen on the Dixie for about two years at this point. How does that change, if at all, uh, this rotation that we're seeing or, or the strength of the rotation? 
Yeah, so I mean, the dollar is really, it's the new VIX here, right? So when the dollar was rising, that meant that there was some real tensions globally. Now that the dollar's falling, uh, it's probably relatively good for financial assets globally because the dollar's the reserve currency. So emerging markets should do well, uh, growth, some of the multinationals should do well with a falling dollar. Now there's a caveat to that. You know, it's, it's kind of the Goldilocks scenario. How hot, how cold do you want it to be? If the dollar really starts to fall and really starts to accelerate it, and let's call that the Dixie below 90, and you get a real acceleration, and the reflation trade comes back, oil, and we're seeing what's happening, gold and silver, and any of the other commodities, if you start to see that coming up, then you start worrying about inflation, that erodes earnings per share, and that would hit the market. But we're a long way away from that, right? So we've got this tailwind again. I agree with everybody else that I think the market's already priced in the stimulus. To me, that's why it's the kind of the biggest risk to the market here, that if we don't get a stimulus, I think the market's already priced it in, so it'll have to price it out. Uh, But, you know, until proven otherwise, you have a pretty good tailwind for equities here. Tim, you think the dollar gets weaker faster than we all think? (laughs) Well, 9% in, in, you know, 90 days, boy, I I hope it... I hope it doesn't go. Yeah, I hope it doesn't you know, do anything faster than it's doing right now, because an orderly decline in the dollar, I guess, is OK to a point. Um, I, I just think that uh, look at the divergence between what the Treasury market is doing and what the equity market is doing. We've talked about this also before. We we may make new March 9 closing lows uh, at around 55 bips on the 10 year this week. If not, we're very close. And, and that doesn't you know, that's the other side of this entire story. So, um, yes, I, I, I think it's uh, you know, we see economic recovery. We do see stimulus. We do see the Fed going not very far from where they are, which is having the back of the economy. Uh, but I do think that there are some, some, some things the markets need to be concerned about after having priced in an enormous amount of, of goodwill. I mean, I think that the issue, one of the issues here, Guy Adami, is that if, if you had studied markets and historical correlations and then you got dropped into this market today, you'd probably be saying to yourself, what the heck is going on? This, this all does 100%. not make sense. So what do you Look, make I of didn't it? Get, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get dropped in today. I've been sitting here for the last, you know, obviously for the last 13 like years, but spot, since March in that living room. specifically. And it, exactly. And I'm, I can't figure it out either. And I don't pretend to know. I mean, I, I think I see what's going on. And I obviously have opinions, but... You know, if you had told me all this stuff six months ago, I would have painted a much different picture in terms of where equities are. And that's just me being truthful. In terms of the dollar, by the way, and I think, you know, Tim sort of alluded to it. And I took economics in college. I didn't do particularly well. But on the graph of point of diminishing marginal returns, we're getting pretty close in terms of a weaker dollar and what it means. And this goes back to something I've said about the administration. You know, they wanted weaker oil. Well, they got it. And then they really had to do an about face on that one. And they've obviously wanted a weaker dollar and they're getting it. But be careful what you wish for, because at a certain point, I don't think a weaker dollar is necessarily all that bullish for equities. All right. Uh, let's get more on what is at stake for this market. Bring in Tony Dwyer, the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, always good to speak with you. I'll, I'll start off with the same question I just posed, Guy. What, what do you make of the markets? Gold at all-time highs. We've got a weekly closing low on the 10-year yield on Friday. We're at 0.61% today on the 10-year yield. Uh, we've got the S&P 500 just about 5% off from record highs. I mean, what does this all mean? Well, I, to the what, and thanks for having me, Mel, but to what everybody's saying, it's all about excess liquidity. Like, we're in a situation where the market went into a recession-based bear market following an inversion of the yield curve and a very clear credit crisis that was developing. And as opposed to what happened in 2007 and 8 and, and prior cycles, 
the Fed got on the game way faster than anybody thought they would, and they did it on April, I think it was April 9th, where they, they announced that they were going to buy some areas of high-yield and municipal debt. And that's a big deal, because that takes municipal debt issuance and, and protecting it to some degree allows for state and local and, and municipalities to not have to puke credit to raise money if they have access to the market. So this, the way that the Fed has handled this and created extraordinary liquidity, and the, and the game changer currently on the turn in the cyclicals, which I think is much more uh, important than, than what we're even talking about, was when the, OE, the OECD leading indicators, um, the OECD is an organization that tracks 37 global economies. Zero percent of them at the end of June were positive. Zero percent. The only time I could see that happening in their data going back, all the way back, was um, after the was in 2009. Now it works with it. The data works with a six-week lag. What's interesting, Mel, is 90 percent of those 37 economies are seeing a positive month-to-month change. Uh-huh. So we've got historic liquidity, excess liquidity, and a synchronized global recovery that people are not yet believing in. So, Tony, uh, you came out a few weeks ago with a 3,300 uh, S&P 500 year-end price target. And part of this call, uh, you're saying that the markets are in a consolidation phase and, and pulling forward um, the assumption of a, of a Biden win, uh, raising taxes, Democratic sweep, et cetera. Uh, I'm wondering, what's on the other side of this consolidation? It's just straight up? And, and how long do you think this consolidation lasts? So let's, let's take uh, history because, you know, my opinion isn't relevant. Let's look at the history. The history when the dollar goes down 8% or more. We did a study today that shows when it goes down 8% or more, it traditionally goes down double digits, anywhere between 13 to 18% uh, since, to, since the 2009 great financial crisis. It's happened three times. And all three of those times, you, you got the dollar so oversold, historically oversold like it is now on a 14-week stochastic, it created a counter-trend rally. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a counter-trend bounce in the dollar that would kind of churn the market a bit, especially the bigger cap names. Mm. And then you get another leg lower, which is hugely positive, not just for the market. So let's forget about the market index. Let's look at the cyclical and economic stocks. So when I looked at those three prior occurrences, from the peak of the dollar to the low of the dollar, and again, it was a double-digit drop in all three times, emerging outperformed, Russell outperformed, economically sensitive outperformed. They have lagged heroically so far. So I think the real call here, and my target's 3,300 plus, and it's important to say the plus, because I have no idea what you're supposed to pay for unlimited global (laughs) Fed. Right? Is it 20 times? I think it's at least 20 times. Could it be 25 times? (laughs) Sure. So I could come out with a crazy target, but it's more focused on the economic expansion, global economic expansion trade. Tony, always good to speak with you. Thank you. Tony Dwyer, Accountant It is funny to think about a multiple base on QE Infinity. I mean, I don't know how you do that. Uh, Brian Kelly, it looked like you were nodding your head in agreement with Tony there. Yeah, no, I mean, what, that, uh, that's exactly it. Like, how do you value this market uh, when, when there's going to be unlimited amount of dollars printed? It, it's, it's a crazy number, and you wonder why the market's going up, because it's being manipulated. I mean, it's as simple as that. They're buying investment-grade debt. 
they, they've taken all the risk out of the market. So, yeah, you buy equities in this case. You know, I, I do think what Tony's saying is kind of interesting that, you know, you look outside the U.S. and you are seeing the countries that have the virus under control mm-hmm. starting to come back to life, starting to get some economic activity. And that's probably relatively good, again, for the multinationals, weaker dollar. That should do, those should do pretty well again. Yeah. Jeff, time to look overseas. Yeah, BK went exactly where I was going to go. Look, when you're talking about a weaker dollar, when you're talking about cyclicality, I obviously still question it here in the U.S., but when you look at the construct of global indexes, they're far more cyclical than they are here in the United States. So think about when the dollar really started to roll over toward the end of May. You have EM outperforming the S&P 500 by 10%. And to my point earlier about the U.S. being largely a service-based economy, and that's the sector of the economy that's most challenged right now, if you go abroad, it's the exact opposite. They're much more exposed to manufacturing and exports and things of that nature. So I look at data out of Germany today. I look at the fact that they're not dealing with kind of a very divisive election coming up. And I think that that in combination with the fact that you're you're paying cheaper prices, I think now is the time to look overseas. I know we've been saying that for a long time, but um, I do think that the weaker dollar, you're more levered to uh, doing better internationally than you are here in the U.S. All right, we've got some breaking news from Pfizer. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa, the vaccine news coming fast and furious today. Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech now announcing they have begun their pivotal phase 2-3 trial of their COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, that's beginning in the United States. They plan to enroll, just like Moderna, up to 30,000 participants. Uh, they're going to have more than 100 trial sites around the globe, but the first ones uh, here in the United States, I'm being told that the first patients either have been dosed or are being dosed uh, imminently. And uh, now they are going to be enrolling around the world as well, including in Argentina, Brazil, and in Germany. Uh, so this will enroll uh, up to 30,000 people ages 18 to 85 on that one-to-one ratio of vaccine versus placebo. So similar there in terms of the Moderna vaccine candidate. Melissa, here's the really interesting part about today's news. Pfizer and BioNTech were evaluating four different vaccine candidates uh, to take the best one forward. And the one that they have selected is actually one that they hadn't yet presented the data on. So we saw data on one candidate. They looked pretty good, was the assessment uh, from uh, experts in the field. Uh, presumably the candidate that they selected looks even better. And Pfizer in its release saying, especially on the tolerability levels, it sounds like the um, efficacy, at least in the early stages of trials that they've seen so far is similar to what they've already presented in terms of the neutralizing antibody levels and the T cell levels, uh, but that it is more tolerable. They didn't see the same side effects like fatigue, headache, things like that. Notably, with the vaccine that they already presented information on, 75% of people on the 30 microgram dose, which is the dose they're taking forward, had fever after the second shot. So this will be two shots at that 30 microgram dose. They are also saying that they have data on older adults on this vaccine from the early trials uh, that also looked good. The neutralizing antibody titers were higher than what they saw in people who were exposed to uh, SARS-CoV-2 mel. Uh, So that is the news from Pfizer and BioNTech right now. Um, And we should note, of course, Moderna also announced today it started its phase three. So this race is just kicking off in the pivotal trials for potential um, approval if these if these vaccines do well. Back over to you. Meg, I'm, I'm just curious in terms of how the phases are conducted. Phase three 
as I understand it, in vaccine trials is usually when you determine how long the vaccine lasts in terms of protection. Um, these are very compressed studies, and so will we actually have a good handle on how long protection lasts, or is it just going to be we're going to we're going to determine this once it's distributed and in the field? Yeah, like everything with this pandemic, things are being done very differently. Mm -hmm. So Pfizer is talking about potentially being in a position to apply for regulatory review by October. So if they're just starting now, clearly by that point, we'll only know a few months worth of protection data. So they're going to be following the participants in this study over a longer period of time to see how long uh, any protection does last, but the trial will essentially be continuing even if these vaccines are given some kind of emergency use authorization. Right. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell, keeping on top of all of these developments. Um, Guy Adami, I asked that question because, well, I mean, it seems like the market has sort of had, had a dulled response to each incremental dose, excuse the pun, of vaccine news. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, the assumption is that a vaccine comes out and that to some degree it's a light switch for people to resume economic activity. From what Meg is telling us, it, it's not a light switch. It's sort of like maybe it's on, maybe it's off. I mean, I, I, I don't yeah. know, you know, if you get a vaccine, if you're going to change your behavior, at least in the first batch. Yeah, I, well, personally, I don't, I don't think so necessarily in vaccines. And again, I'm, I'm not a virologist, as they say, but vaccines is not one of those things you want to rush to get to market, uh, if you know what I mean. There's a reason why these things take 18 months to two years, and that's because of the trials that people have to go through. And that's because of how fastidious these companies have to be in order to get them to market. So although they might rush this one through, you have to ask yourself, I mean, the, the polls say 40 percent of the people wouldn't take a vaccine right now anyway. So, you know, I understand why the headline would be bullish for the market. But in, in reality, I'm not certain that's as bullish as people think. I'm in that 40 percent, too, by the way, uh, Tim Seymour. At the same time, I mean, would you would you choose to if you had to choose a vaccine to take, let's say all of them were. Ooh. Would you would you take the one from a Moderna, which which when it entered 2020 had 20 candidates for drugs not yet approved and, and wasn't expected to hit the market for two to four years, or would you take a vaccine from Pfizer? And I'm only asking this, I'm not saying one's going to win, one's not going to win, but from an investor standpoint, this is an important question. Yeah, and, and I won't tongue-in-cheek say this is a, a would-you-rather I'd rather not be a part of, um, but I, I think that's, you know, we have a dynamic here where uh, these are just headlines. And, and Meg has gone into some great detail talking about the, the size of these studies and that the bar is so high in the United States that uh, on a monthly basis, we need to get an announcement on where the leadership is uh, on a vaccine process that has, again, this massive, uh, massive study. So I, I don't think that these announcements are market moving. And I would I guess I would chime in and say the same thing. I, I think folks are ultimately going to decide for themselves and the light switch is not necessarily going to be flipped on or off. And that's why we are seeing the reactions in those most hard hit uh, hospitality sectors, et cetera. Uh, I, I don't think that people are going straight back in. Otherwise, those are trades you could be in right now. Uh, but the vaccines are a guidepost at best. They're not they're not market trading events like they were two months ago. And we got a news alert here on Intel. Josh Lipton has the story. Josh. So, Melissa, yeah, just now Intel CEO Bob Swan announcing some changes to the company's technology organization and executive team. So some new names and new positions here in a range of departments, technology development, manufacturing operations, design engineering. Um, they're saying here this is meant to accelerate product leadership and improve 
focus and accountability in process technology exec execution. Importantly here too, um, Executive Murthy Renduchintala is going to be departing on August 3rd. That's also interesting. He was talked about even at one point by some analysts as a potential successor to Brian Krasanich. Of course, all this coming after Intel just reported earnings and tanked. They talked about these production delays that would impact when their first seven nanometer chips would go on sale. Some analysts believe that delay could really be a boon for AMD, which, remember, reports tomorrow after the bell. Melissa, back to you. All right, uh, Josh, thanks, thanks so much. The chief engineering officer steps down. It sounds like heads are rolling, Guy, for that 12-month uh, delay of the 7 nanometer chip. Yeah, and kudos. I think it was Goldman Sachs that downgraded the stock uh, uh, three or four weeks ago, although I think they kept a $64 price target on it. I thought that that's meaningful. Look, Intel was actually trading re decently well uh, a few weeks ago from 57.5 up to 62. Obviously, the bottom's fallen out. No, that's not good news. People will talk about valuation now. I'm not certain you can really cast it under that light. And now that $46 level, I think that's where it traded down to on the March low is right in the crosshair. So Intel's loss is clearly AMD's gain. But the question is, and we'll talk about it later, is the moving AMD into earnings too much too fast? And I think that's something we have to talk about at the back end of the show. Yeah, we're going to talk much more about Intel and all the chip stocks. They surged to all-time highs today, helped by this big pop in Taiwan Semi. We'll tell you what got these shares moving. Plus, it wasn't just gold on a tear today. Check out Bitcoin prices jumping to the highs of the year. We'll find out how much higher this crypto can go. Stay tuned. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got more details out of the stimulus bill. Let's get to Kayla Tashi with more. Kayla. Well, Melissa, the, the stimulus package is broken down into several different pieces of legislation. The one that is being spearheaded by Senator Chuck Grassley, who runs the Senate Finance Committee, deals with the nuts and bolts of the economic assistance programs. That is the stimulus checks and the expansion of unemployment insurance. On those two proposals, we're getting some specific figures. First, on the unemployment insurance, uh, a, a summary released by Grassley's office says that that will be capped by October at 70% of a worker's pre-pandemic wage, but that it's up to the states to actually make that calculation and that there will be a cap on that of approximately $500. I've inquired whether that cap is per week or per, per month, and I will let you know what I hear. The plan also adds $2 billion for states to administer unemployment insurance, essentially uh, to try to help states uh, get beyond these uh, program log jams that we saw in April and May when uh, the volume of people applying for these benefits was through the roof. As for the stimulus checks, the qualifiers are exactly the same. $1,200 for uh, tax filers who are individually making $75,000 or less or a couple making $150,000 or less. The change, Melissa, is that 
previously, only dependents under 17 would qualify a family for that extra $500. In this plan, every single dependent qualifies for $500. Um, finally, uh, one of the employer benefits that is embedded in this proposal uh, is raising the employee retention tax credit to 65% of wages from 50% of wages in the CARES Act. But as I said, this is just a portion of the overall package. We're still going through it. And there's a lot more to learn. Melissa? All right, Kayla, thank you. Uh, Kayla Tausche, a lot more to learn about this. And of course, this is just the opening gambit of the GOP, Tim Seymour. So there's a lot more wood to chop, so to speak, on this. Yeah, but the themes here are, are certainly such that we're getting, uh, trying to get households back to whether it's 70% of former income and then also putting money in the hands uh, of people now. And where's that money going to go? I, I, I think uh, if we look at the trades that have worked so far as it relates to uh, some of the consumer trades, whether they be Best Buy or other electronics, or, or uh, I really think that the housing trade, I mean, look at the charts on a Whirlpool, which just announced last week. Mm -hmm. Look at the charts on Masco, uh, Sherwin-Williams, and then we've talked about the home building. These, to me, are the charts that stay consistent with the environment that is everything uh, COVID tailwind related and also putting money in the pockets of households that may need it. But in some cases, they decide where they're going to put it and putting it into the household with some of those other secular trends. I, I would stay in those names. Yeah, Sherwin-Williams is one that Carter Braxton worth the cornerstone really pounded the table on uh, last week very decisively. Jeff Mills, yep. um, would you stick with this home building trade? Are there I mean, with the Fed pumping liquidity into the market, keeping interest rates so low, this is a trade that seems like it really has got legs. Yeah, I think it does. And my final trade on Friday was DR mm -hmm. Horton. So I think home builders as a whole, a specific name like that, where you're exposed to a part of the housing sector where there's a lot of demand, I do think you stick with those names. Um, I've also liked the Lowe's for a while. You know, they've been playing catch up with Home Depot. They've been making some changes in management and doing some things differently there. So again, I don't know what this is going to do for the broad market. I don't know if this is the catalyst that brings us higher. But to Tim's point, if you're looking at specific areas of the market, again, I think that you can look to where that money flowed before. It probably flows again. So these, those trades probably continue to do well. Guy, I bet uh, during the pandemic you've built some pretty nifty things in that backyard of yours. Lego sets, swing sets, and, you know, restoration hardware. I mean, restoration hardware was a great story prior to this. Obviously, like everything else, it got whacked in March. But look at the move in RH from the March low to, I think, it made an all-time high today. And that's a name we've been steadfast on. So this these dollars that are going back into people's pockets is just one more tailwind for a company that's really done everything right now for the last year, year and a half, despite the fact that my building, you know, I'm more IKEA than RH, but, you know, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> so you like, you like to Those assemble shelves that are impossible to pronounce, yes, basically. I mean, that's the bottom exactly. line here. Uh, Brian Kelly, thing. you're picking yeah. the housing sector. <laughs> Right. right now, I'm just picturing Guy with one of those Allen wrenches putting together about a thousand pieces. That's, that's all I can think about. Uh, but, but I would agree with everybody else. Listen, I think ITB or even XHB, what's mm -hmm. interesting is a lot of times people say, hey, don't buy XHB because it's not really construction. ITB is that. But you're talking about a rehab trade here, right? So people are sitting at home. They're saying, hey, I'm going to be here a little bit longer than I expected. I need a home office. I need a little more space. I need to get my kids in another room or something like that. So I think those trades continue to go. Interest rates ridiculously low. And so it's, it's just, again, it's going to be that fuel. And you got to look, are any of those trends changing anytime soon? And I think the answer is no. So people have money. They're sitting at home. They're going to fix it up. And they're going to go to guys Ikea, I guess.
All right, coming up, the grand reopening hitting the rocks today as the Marlins delay their home opener. So how big a hit will this have on sports betting? We'll get some answers. And later, we're getting ready for earnings from Visa. What option traders expect when the payments giant reports Fast Money's back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a very special interview coming up tomorrow. Bill Gates sits down one-on-one with Andrew Ross Sorkin to talk COVID response in the race for a vaccine that's only on Squawk Box tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Well, it looks like baseball is back in jeopardy. The MLB postponing some games after a coronavirus outbreak hit the Miami Marlins. Sports betting company DraftKings tanking on this news, finishing lower by 6.5%. For more on this, let's bring in Bernie McTurnan of Rosenblatt Securities. Bernie, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You cited in your report about DraftKings that the risk is that COVID-19 delays the return of sports, and here we are. Uh, what would this mean if, if, if the season were scrapped? Yeah, so I think right now we're going to be dealing with this being the new normal of having canceled games. But really, there's incredible demand right now or pent-up demand for watching and betting on sports. So what we saw with the record ratings for opening day and then also in New Jersey, sports betting revenue was actually higher year over year in June. So I think that if the MLB does get scrapped, it's certainly a negative headline risk. But ultimately, we think sports betting in the U.S. is going to be a massive opportunity um, going forward. Is this the kind of thing where you're going to just look past uh, the next six to eight months or so? I mean, assuming that the MLB and, and what's happened there with the outbreak is probably going to happen with football to some extent and possibly with basketball, too. Yeah, so it seems, you know, there's kind of two paths there going forward here. One is with the bubble, and that's the NBA and the NHL. The NHL actually just got back 4,300 tests today that were all negative. The It seems like the bubble in the NBA is going great. Both those seasons are starting later this week. We're really bullish about that season being able to last. But then there's also the, uh, the MLB and then the NHL, NFL, which is having travel. So there certainly seems to be more risk there. Um, the NFL is is massive for sports betting, but to your point, yes, we will be. We think that sport, pro sports are going to come back at some point. So if it's not this year, it's going to be next year, the year after. And this is really just a blip in the buying opportunity here for long-term holders. Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. And I guess my question really is about the competitive landscape, because to me, DraftKings is playing the long game. And as sad as some of these uh, setbacks have been for baseball, uh, you know, and you've talked about this with their market share and how you how you model that. Who else is in the game? What's other exposure investors can have to to OSB or online sports betting? Yeah, certainly. So we think that so we had DraftKings having a 25 percent market share long term. 
Uh, we think that could be ultimately conservative, but we think DraftKings and FanDuel are going to be two of the, the major winners here. FanDuel, you can play through Flutter, the, the owner there. Um, and then also there, there's other ways to play it too. So Penn National Gaming is another one with Barstool. Um, we've talked to a number of investors who are very favorable on that stock as well. Um, and then Fox owns Foxbet, which is really interesting. You saw Fox sell off a lot today as well. And that's more, can they make the transition from the bundle? Because right now, almost all their economics are based on the traditional linear bundle. Core cutting is going to be acceler is accelerating. It's going to accelerate even more if there aren't sports. So then can they transition um, with Foxbet and, and their probably ultimate ownership of FanDuel as well? All right, Bernie, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Bernie McTernan of Rosenblatt Thanks, Securities. Um, Jeff Mills, this is a space that you liked. What do you think now? Yeah, it was a fast pitch. It was a fast pitch of mine, maybe mm -hmm. a, a month or two ago. And look, I still like it. We're going to have fits and starts, but overall, I think looking over the next six to twelve months, we're going to have more sports, not less. I do think DraftKings has the brand recognition. I do think there's this dynamic too, where as more sports come online, which I think they will, people are still going to be at home. So to Bernie's point, you have this increased interest in online sports betting, and I think that sticks. And then longer term, you do have the catalyst in terms of legislation. So thinking about California, Florida, Texas, New York. These are big states that have not yet legalized online sports betting. I think when they do, you will see a big tailwind to some of these names. I think DraftKings is really well positioned if you can stick with it. Beeks? I would yeah, I rather think so. own DraftKings. I, I agree with all of that in the long oh, run. Sorry, Beek. Oh. Go ahead, BK. No, go ahead, Guy. Oh, okay, BK no, will I go. I you said Guy. Uh, I'm on sorry. DraftKings. <laughs> all right, so on DraftKings, this is, what, this is what BK thinks, is that the sell-off today, really overdone. I think if you think about it, what is, what, how are human beings going to react? They're going to say, boy, I better get my bets in now in case the season is closed down. So I think if anything, it pulls earnings forward, and the risk is that DraftKings outperforms on earnings. If only we were in the same place, right, like the old days. The old days weren't even that <laughs> yeah. long ago, right? We, we wouldn't have to, like, have all these delays. But I, I was thinking, Guy you know, more sports. So you're watching hockey games, obviously, and the hockey season is extremely long, as we all know. Um, and so, so are you, Mel. And so, <laughs> right. And so what are you not doing? So what, in other words, you have a limited number of hours. So what are you not doing? Yeah. And is that a loser, so to uh, speak, know, on the back of sports wins? It's, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I thought, you know, if you had asked me six months ago, I would have been, thought I would have been devastated by the lack of sports. It really hasn't bothered me all that much. Yeah, I watched the Yankee game, but was more passing to me, you know, I've sort of moved past it. I will watch hockey, and to, I think to your point, I would counter, I don't think the hockey season is long enough, but that's another episode of another show. But to De Jeff Mills' point, I think DraftKings, if you're playing the long game, this sell-off is an opportunity because they're doing everything right in a world that is just wants to gamble. Just, I think you had a record number of bets on the Yankee uh, Nationals game on opening day on Thursday. That speaks volumes as the pent-up demand for at least that industry. Coming up, the call that sent the chip stocks to another all-time high. We'll tell you what stock got the biggest boost today and later. Bitcoin boom. Why BK thinks the crypto may be a better buy than gold. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Taiwan semi-share soaring on a big upgrade at Credit Suisse. It is our call of the day. The analysts boosting the chipmaker to outperform, saying Intel's production delays paved the way for a huge outsourcing opportunity for TSM and greatly expand its addressable market. TSM uh, shares up double digits today, helping, uh, helping to boost the SMH semiconductor ETF to yet 
another all-time high. I mean, specifically, they're looking at doubling the revenue from Intel because they might outsource some of this stuff to TSMC, Jeff. You like this. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, and I agree with the note, but you're talking about Taiwan Semi having added $34 billion in market cap in the last couple of days. So my question is, has it moved a little bit too far too fast? I think that's really the question we have to ask ourselves. I think Credit Suisse makes some, some reasonable assumptions in the sense that they're saying by 2025, they'll have 25% of Intel's business. You know, my question is, does that come to fruition? Is this a permanent shift in Intel's production line or is it temporary just to fill this gap? I don't know. But after the move we've already seen, the stock has actually hit Credit Suisse's new price target. So I would just be careful trading the stock here. I think overall in semis, though, I still like the space. You know, these are companies that have a lot of big tailwinds, you know, whether you're talking about AI, 5G, um, you know, you name it, it, it's at their backs. But um, and, I, and I think investors are going to continue to look to this space because they have good balance sheets, good cash flow, and they're showing growth. So even though a lot of these names like AMD, NVIDIA, they're expensive, I think investors, at least for the remainder of the year, are probably mm-hmm. going to look past that. So I think this is a space that can still outperform. And we'll get a read on AMD later this week, Guy. Yeah, we will. And if you remember, last quarter, they reported, I think the stock went from 54.5 down to 50 or so. And we talked about it that night. We said this is a huge opportunity between 49 and a half and 50, you buy it with both hands. Lisa Sue is going to be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning, if you recall. And that actually worked spot on. Now, the move to 69 to me is a little excessive. It concerns me. I, you know, I thought it was going back to 60. This is an overshoot. So I'm inclined to take profits into this number. And if it continues to race to the upside, you miss it. But I, w- I would think you'd see it back and fill back to the $60 level. And that's where you reenter the name. All right, coming up, the ultimate would you rather. Gold or Bitcoin? We'll find out which trade has the most legs after their monster runs. Plus, check out shares of Visa charging 30% higher from March lows. We'll break down what option traders are expecting when the company reports tomorrow. Fast Money will be back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It wasn't just gold ripping higher today. Check out the price of Bitcoin climbing back above 11000 for the first time since September. Um, BK, so we're going to pose the ultimate would you rather to you, gold or silver or Bitcoin? Well, I mean, for me, it's, it's going to be Bitcoin. You might say, well, BK, you're biased because you run a crypto fund, but that's not it. I also trade macro, which means I have a whole bunch of different things that I can invest in, currency, stocks, bonds, precious metals. And when I look at precious metals versus Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a better fundamentals and when fundamentals i'm talking about the stock to flow ratio it's better than gold at this point because we had the halvening and when i look at the bitcoin cycles they the bull markets tend to cluster around the halvenings and so we're tracking right along like the 2016 uh, halvening cycle and that would imply that sometime in q2 2021 you're looking at a bitcoin price of 50,000. so that's kind of the long-term uh, target and then in the shorter term 10,500 was a really big number. We're breaking out of a two-year range. It would not surprise me. Just This is just pure trading 101. Once you break out of a range, goes to prior highs. That's 20,000. To me, I think you know that's three to six months down the road. So Bitcoin looks like it go two to five times higher, whereas gold, is gold going to go to 4,000? Is it going to go to 10,000? Can we back up for just a second? Are, go. You're saying 20,000 sure. in three to six months? And 50,000 yep. in 2021. And we've heard these sorts of yeah, sky-high forecasts in the past, 50,000, you know, 100,000, whatever. It's like 
and, and they never came to fruition. Why, why this time? I mean, well, people I'm are not, skeptical. I'm not sure that they haven't come to fruition. People may be skeptical, but let's remember, in March, Bitcoin was $3,500. So it's already tripled. All right. So and a lot of those projections were, OK, this is going to be three, four years out. A lot of people at one and two thousand dollars in Bitcoin in 2017 didn't think it could go to twenty thousand. What we know about Bitcoin is that it's extremely volatile. It's highly speculative. And when it goes on these speculative runs, it goes a lot further than people expect. So, you know, I don't think saying twenty thousand is that outrageous when it's already been there. Uh, you might question me on the fifty thousand, but that's a year from now. Quick, would you rather guy, Dami, gold or miners? Gold, 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 okay. gold, gold, gold. And I'll say it again. You, I've said it. I'll say it again. You're going to wake up one morning. Gold's going to be up $200. People are going to be like, well, what happened? And it's going to happen again the next day. And by the way, you're seeing it in silver right now mm -hmm. to a certain degree. And the miners have been ridiculous. We've talked about Newmont and Pan American silver now for months. Those are just getting started despite the ridiculous move they've had. Coming up, options markets looking to cash in when Visa reports tomorrow. We'll dive into that trade. And don't miss tonight's episode of Mad Money, fresh off of earnings, the CEO of Mattel and Skyworks. Plus, Jim also sits down with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. That's 6 p.m. p.m. Eastern time tonight. But first, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Visa in the green today as the payment giant gears up to report earnings. The stock is up more than 30% off March lows, and options traders are betting Tuesday's report could pave the way for even more gains. Mike's got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we saw calls out trade puts by about 3 to 1 today on above average volume. And right now the options market is implying a move of about $6, higher or lower, 3% of the stock price. That's in line with the historic average over the course of the last eight quarters or so. The weekly options that saw the most opening activity were the 197 and a half strike calls. Buyers of those were paying about $2.70 a contract. A lot of this was retail interest, it would seem, because the average trade size was about $4. So they are betting that the good news is going to come out of earnings and the stock is going to trade higher by the end of the week. Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We wanted to take a moment to pay tribute to a true Fast Money friend. Regis Philbin passed away over the weekend, and loyal Fast Money fans will remember he was part of our family. Welcome back. You're watching Live with Regis and Melissa Lee. Oh. <laughs> ring to it doesn't Regis all right I think Yahoo should be 42 as well but here it is meandering around 35 why I don't know I come here because I don't know you gotta tell me they're gonna need some help from Pfizer to keep holding this thing up Pfizer gonna make a move I'm so sick and tired of hearing about what a great pharmaceutical is when is the stock gonna move I thought I could maybe take your advice for the summer and I was wondering you know we're trying to get some young blood in at Greenlight some young minds, and I was wondering maybe if you'd want to come uh, come intern for the summer. Exactly what I've got, some young blood. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to join you, David. I'm not kidding you. Where's that jacket? Tango. Put that jacket on Regis me, Regis Philbin, you are an honorary trader. You have won that fancy schmancy jacket. If I put the jacket on, will I know what to do with LIS? It was a pistol. Now, he's officially wow. a fast money. There you go. And there you will wear that This tomorrow. is RGS. That's his acronym. I love it. I really do. We, of course, remember him for Micron and Molly Corp and, of course, being a legend and a class act guy. 
He was, you know, if you think about it, Regis Philbin came on our show in very early years. Regis was, is a legend, and he gave us credibility. He was so much fun, such a gentleman. The person you saw on camera, same person off camera. Um, obviously, we're going to miss him a great deal. Uh, best to his family, and Regis, rest in peace. Time for the final trade. Now let's go around the horn. Tim? Going to miss you, Regis. Uh, canopy stocks ripping. Canopy growth, one of the biggest in, in the business, and in fact had a big U.S. announcement on their hemp line. Uh, stay in this name if, canopy, if cannabis stocks are going higher. PK? Yeah, rest in peace, Reg. Uh, DraftKings, General Mills, convinced me on this one. I like it. Going to buy it tomorrow. Jeff Mills? I like it. Well, sell Boston beer. That move on Friday was way overdone. It gave back a couple of percent today, but I think it continues to do so. So sell SAM. Guy. Caterpillar in earnings on Friday, Mel. All right. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.